Hey everyone, good morning. Really good to see you. If you and I have not met, my name is Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. It's Jonathan Davis who is leading us in worship. Know that we are delighted that you are here uh, worshiping with us this morning. We are in week two of our series in 1 John. So if you have a Bible in print or on a device, let me invite you to go ahead and turn there with me. Um, You'll find uh, 1 John near the end of the Bible. So if you make it to Revelation, go left past you. You'll come to the three letters of John. Uh, Last week, we looked at the first four verses, and this week, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. But before we dive in here, let me just give a a quick summary of, of what we said last week, which hopefully will help set the stage for what we'll see this morning. So the Apostle John, who's writing this letter, knew Jesus personally, right? He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He heard him with his own ears. He touched him with his own hands. He was a witness to his life, death, and resurrection, which is a big deal because he's writing here to second and third generation Christians some 50 to 60 years after Jesus. Christians living in what's modern day Turkey who have never seen Jesus or heard Jesus, who live far from Israel and far from the events that took place there. And some of them are beginning to question and doubt some of the claims of Christ in Christianity. He was starting to question their sin. Like false teaching had crept in. Certain preachers were beginning to preach a version of the gospel that really wasn't the gospel, saying that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. That he's fully God and fully man. He came for your sin so you could be saved from it. Which if he's not both of those things, then there is no gospel that if God himself did not become an actual man who could live the life that you and I couldn't live and die the death that you and I deserve to die, then there is no salvation because we are still dead in our sins and we can all go home right now. So John is saying to them and to us, I was there and I am telling you the truth that Jesus is God. And he really did live a sinless life. He really did. He really did die on a cross. He really did rise from the dead so that you and I can have eternal life and joy in him. And this didn't happen in some dark alley somewhere with no witnesses. Like this all happened in broad daylight with multiple hundreds of witnesses. John here is saying Jesus is telling the truth. He is God. And so which means for us, that our faith in Jesus as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world is not some leap in the dark for us, but it is a step out into the light of his resurrection. That in and through Jesus, God has made himself known and he has made himself knowable. You can know this God. So we can't know and we can't enjoy God the Father forever apart from faith in his Son. Which is why John and all those early Christians and Christians throughout the centuries at the risk of losing their lives, made this good news known. And they took it everywhere and to everyone because the resurrection of Jesus really did change everything, especially them. So in verses one through four, John is saying, I am telling you the truth about who Jesus is and why he came. That he came for your sin. And in the verses that we're gonna look at this morning, he's gonna ask us, 
Do we tell the truth about who God is? Do we tell the truth about who God is by how we live our lives and how we view our sin? Does our walk, what we say, actually match our talk? Does what we say we believe about God have any real impact on our behavior, how we go about our life? In other words, do we tell the truth about God, who he's revealed himself to be, and do we tell the truth about ourselves? Or do we lie? So let's take a look at this. This is 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. And if you're following along in the bulletin, put the whole chapter in there for context. But beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, your, your word is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. For with you, Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So, Father, for those of us who are living in the dark this morning, who are living in sin, Father, would you turn the light on as it were? Would you help us to see Jesus? We pray this in his beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. Amen. Before we jump into this, let me, let me highlight one thing that is significant for us to see. Have you noticed from what we saw last week and with what we just read that John begins this letter with God and the gospel? He begins this letter with God and the gospel. He begins with who God is and what he has done before he ever gets to who we are and what we should do in response to him. So last week we saw God the Father has revealed himself in and through the person and work of his son. And here in verse five, the son of God has revealed to us the father, what he is like. And the reason he starts where he does is because of this. And this is really important for us to get is that the good news doesn't begin with us, but it begins with God. It doesn't begin with our response, but with his revelation. God always speaks before we do. He is God. We are not. So the gospel, the good news isn't first and foremost about us, but it's about God. It's about his glory and his worth and his value and who we are in relation to that God. So what he says and what he does is infinitely more important than what we say and do. A few weeks ago, I watched in amazement a documentary on Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, these space probes 
that NASA launched back in 1977. Uh, The mission of these probes was to do flybys of planets like Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune. As I was was watching this, I sat there just thinking to myself, isn't it amazing what mankind can do? It's amazing. And we can launch unmanned probes out into space and we can program them to fly past planets without crashing into them like planets that are hundreds of millions of miles away from us. And we can have those probes send images, pictures back to us. And you have Voyager out there right now, 41 years later, and some 13.5 billion miles from where we sit. And that thing is still communicating with us, still communicating. And it won't reach the next object for another 40,000 years. And then I sat there thinking to myself, isn't God amazing? Isn't what God has done, isn't that amazing? Like how great must this God be to create such a wonder and to create such wonders and such a universe? If you just take our solar system with our sun and a galaxy within a universe made up of billions of galaxies, that the sun stands at the center of the solar system and all the planets, even Neptune, out there at a staggering 2.8 billion miles away from it, all the planets orbit around it. They are being held by it, by its sheer weight and gravity. And here we are on this planet at just the right distance from it, spinning on just the right axis, that without the sun, you and I wouldn't exist. There would be no light and there would be no life, which is why Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens, the sun and the stars are proclaiming to us. If we have ears to hear, they are proclaiming to us the glory of God. They are telling us how great he is. So at at this point, maybe you're thinking to yourself, what on earth does this have to do with 1 John? Here's the connection that I I want us to see. In verse 5, Jesus, the Son of God, his very image through John is proclaiming to us the glory and the greatness of God. That he's given us a vision of who he is. And he's saying that that this God, he's like the sun at the center of the solar system. And he's holding everything in his sway. That all things orbit around him and everything is held together by him and everything gets its light and its life from him. That apart from him, there is darkness and there is death. And you and I and everyone else on the planet, we can only see who we are in light of who he is, who he's revealed himself to be. And we can only see how horrible our condition is. The bad news is far worse than we really think. How horrible our condition is in light of his holy character. How inconsistent we are in light of his constancy. Our sin in his holiness, our lies in his truth, and the good news that John has been proclaiming in this letter is that this glorious God 
how I want to say, this glorious God has made himself known and knowable that we no longer have to live in the dark. We no longer have to live in death and in sin because we have seen his glory and his grace in the person and work of his son, Jesus. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we read it earlier, for God who said, let, there, let light shine out of darkness. God created the sun at the beginning. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if we see the glory and the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus this morning, it is because God has given us sight to see him for who he is. So all that to say, he's given us a vision of God here. He's telling us to look up and to gaze at him Because how we see him will have a direct impact on how we see ourselves and how we see our sin. That if we have a small view of God this morning, we will have a small view of sin. That if our sin is too big, it is because our God is far too small. And if we don't see our sin at all, we don't think we have any sin, then it is because we don't see God. And that's what we see playing out Right here in these verses, John is helping us to see how pervasive our problem is, the magnitude of our sin. And he's pointing us to the marvel of our salvation in the Son, who is our only solution. So if we deny our sin, we are denying the Savior, which is what some of the people that John is writing to have done. So it begins first with the gospel, with God. Because what God says about himself is the most important thing that you and I can know because it's how we come to know ourselves. So here are my two points this morning. First, what does God say about himself? And second, what does God say about us and our sin? So first, what does God say about himself? Last week, the question was, who is Jesus? We saw that Jesus is the son who has been sent by the father into the world This week, who is the Father? It's he whom the Son reveals to us. Look there at verse 5. It says, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus. And the verb tense that he uses there means that this message is still ringing in his ears. He can still hear Jesus saying this. The message we have heard from him we now proclaim to you. Who is God? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, he's using a metaphor here to describe a reality. What's clear is that this is a statement about the very nature of God and who God is in his essence. John summarizes here in a sentence what Scripture says all throughout about the character of God. But what it mainly means that God is light is that God is holy that he's pure, that he is perfect. There are no imperfections in him. No blind spots. He has no sin, no shadow, no stain, nothing shady about him. There is no deception or deviation or darkness in him, only light. And the Greek here actually reads, there is no darkness in him, none. That's really poor English, right? Because it's a double negative, but it's really good Greek and it's really good theology. 
John can't say it in a stronger, more succinct way. If you want a picture of moral perfection, then look at the person of God because he is the standard by which everything else, including us, is measured against, which means which means we can only see who we are and how far short we fall of that standard when we are looking at him for who he really is. So John's putting a picture of God before us, his holiness, his perfection, his beauty. And when we take a step back, it's not a surprise that he began this letter by saying that Jesus is the source of our life and joy and fellowship in God, that apart from faith in him, we can't have fellowship with God who is holy because you and I are sinners. That we have sin, we cannot approach a holy God. And so when Jesus makes a statement about what the Father is like, like he's doing here, he's also making a statement about what he is like. That if the Father is perfect, then it also means that the Son is perfect. Otherwise, he would not be God and he wouldn't be able to do anything for us because he'd be plagued with the same disease, which is why we so desperately need the news of his life, death, and resurrection because he alone is the one who can bring us to God. He alone is the one who can keep us in God because he alone is God. So no Jesus, no joy, no salvation. So the question for us is, Is this our vision of God? Like when you think about God, is this what you think about? Is this how you see him? Do we love that he is holy? He's pure, he's perfect, he is without sin and that because of it, he can't turn a blind eye to ours. Or do we prefer a God who looks just like us? one who's made in our image, who treats sin the same way that we treat sin. John here is saying from the lips of Jesus that God is life because we will not only have a right view of ourselves and we have a right view of him. And the test of whether or not we do is how we think of our sin. If our view of sin is defective, guys, It's because we have a defective view of God and we are living at least to some degree in the dark. That we are blind to his glory and to his grace. So that is the true God of the gospel, the God of the Bible. It's what he says about himself. Now, what does he say about us? First thing he says is that we are not God. We are sinners who desperately need a savior. But what we see here is that it's often the very opposite of what you and I say about it. Because John gives three if we say statements in these verses. You see it there in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10, any of which have come from our own mouths. And every single one of them is a lie. And they go against what God, said is, what God says is true of us. And he's going to say that we lie to others about our sin. We lie to ourselves, and ultimately, we lie about God. So look at the first one there in verse 6. It says, if we have fellowship with him, and that him there is God, right? If you remember from last week back in verse 3, 
We have fellowship with the Father, with the Son. That this is the goal of the gospel, that we have communion with God through our union with his Son, Jesus. This is how good the gospel is, that we get God forever. This God who has revealed himself as light, who's holy, who's pure. So if we say that we have fellowship with him, if that's true, while we walk in darkness, we lie about our fellowship with him and we do not practice the truth. So here's what's going on. For some, we may profess in public one thing, that we're good with God, we're close to God, we love, we worship God for who he is, for his perfection, but in private, we don't actually practice what we preach. We don't do the things that God does. Our lives betray like our lives, how we live, betray what we say with our lips. Because if we say to everyone around us that we believe the gospel, that we know God who's pure, holy, beautiful, without sin, that we treasure his glory and grace, that we love what he loves and we hate what he hates, which is what it means for us to be in fellowship with this God, all while we are living in a continuous and consistent pattern of sin and loving it, then we are lying about it. We are not telling the truth because you can't say that you have fellowship with God, that you love what he loves and consistently without remorse and repentance do the very things that he hates, the very sins that sent Jesus to the cross in the first place. And the way that we know that we are lying is because light and darkness can't coexist. That's the point John is making here. Light and darkness can't coexist. God's light, if we are walking with him, will always drive out the darkness in us. And if that is not happening, John says, then we are far from God and we are living in the dark and we are living a lie. Because those who are close to him, who know him, like who truly do get the gospel of grace and love him for it, what it cost Christ on the cross to get us to God, who is infinitely more beautiful, infinitely more to be desired than whatever darkness we are dwelling in. That we won't be comfortable with our sin. We won't cozy up to it because it's the very thing that is killing us and it's the very thing that is belittling God. But we will confess it. We will be glad to confess it and ask him to cleanse us and to change us because we want nothing more in this life than to be more like him whom we love which is what verse seven is all about. John says there, but if we walk in the light, in fellowship with God, in God, as he is in the light, and we're walking in his steps, which he's laid out for us in his word, and we're following after Jesus, who is the word made flesh, then we have fellowship with one another, You might expect him to say that we have fellowship with God there, right? But he's just assuming that if this is the case for you, that you already have fellowship with God. Now, why does he say that we have fellowship with one another? The reason is that we can have genuine fellowship with someone else. We can have genuine fellowship with other people in this room if we are pretending to be someone we are not. if we're deceiving them, if we're lying about who we really are. That's not what true fellowship is. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all 
sin. So John here, he's not talking about our being sinless. We'll continue to sin until the day that we die. There will always be dark places in us that the light of the gospel still needs to penetrate. We will be inconsistent. Our behavior won't always match our belief. We'll do stupid stuff all the time, which is why we so much need the blood of Jesus, his son, to continue cleansing us because he is what makes our fellowship possible in the first place. And we can know the Father through our faith in the Son, but what sin does, guys, it interferes with our enjoyment of him. Do you enjoy God? Those who are married know what I'm talking about here. You know, you say something harsh to your wife. You've said it a thousand times before. Or you say something cutting to your husband, it creates distance between you, right? You're still married to that person. You still have union, but you're not walking with one another. You've lost that communion. You're no longer enjoying one another. But what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross is atonement for our sins. He's bridged the gap between us and God and he has brought us back to him. And every time we sin, every time we confess, he continues to bring us back into fellowship with God, a holy God communing with an unholy people like us, which is at the heart of the good news of the gospel of grace. So he's not saying that we're gonna be sinless. Otherwise, we would no longer need the son. But what he is saying, very important, what he is saying is that when we live in the light of God's presence and his holiness, when we see him for who he truly is, when we are captivated by his beauty and confronted with our sin and we see it as ugly, when he becomes more compelling to us, he is making us more and more like him. Not that we would be sinless, but that we would sin less. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're becoming more pure, more holy, more like the God that we are gazing at because we become what we behold. So we need to stop here. We need to ask a penetrating heart question. Does verse six describe us? Is this how we are living? Inconsistent with what we confess? Saying that we love the light. We love God. When we really love the darkness, we really love our sin. Do we say one thing to people when we're in public at church, when we're singing the songs, we're mingling in the lobby? when we're wearing our Jesus is my homeboy shirt. It's all just fake. It's a front. It's a facade because when I'm at home, when I'm in private, when I'm in the dark, I'm indulging in pornography and I don't see the problem with it. And I feel powerless to overcome it. Or I'm treating my family poorly. I'm engaging in an affair. I'm constantly filled with hatred and lust and gossip and envy and love of money and love of status. God exerts absolutely no force in my life. I'm not drawn to him in the least. And I'm okay with it. 
I see no compelling reason for me to change. Are we like the person who walks around telling people that we are eating paleo and every day we're driving through McDonald's and Burger King for a Big Mac and a Whopper? Like, is, that, is that who we are? Like we're saying one thing, but we're doing another. If that's you this morning, lying to others about what's really true about you, coddling sin and can't imagine parting ways with it, you claim closeness to God that you know him, that you love him, you come to church every Sunday, but your conduct throughout the week contradicts your confession. If that's you, maybe you're a Christian, genuinely a Christian this morning. Like you do truly trust in Jesus, but your sin has become bigger and better than God and he's become smaller and less satisfying to you that you've grown to love being in the dark, acting like God doesn't care about your sin or he no longer sees it. Or maybe you're not a Christian this morning. The invitation is to come out of the dark and into the light of God's presence where there is life and there is forgiveness and joy in Christ and in the fellowship of his church where sinners like the rest of us saved by the Son and cleansed by his blood continue to sing the praises of his cross now and forever. Being in a relationship with the God of the universe, knowing him is more to be desired than your reputation because he is your reward. That's the first one. Stop lying to others. Stop living in the dark. Come into the light because saying that we love God and we also love sin is like saying darkness and light are the same thing. God is more lovely than our love affair with our sin. Then we come to verse eight. That if we're lying to others about who we are, deceiving them, covering it up, what does it say there? We can actually start to believe our own lies. We become deceived. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now, for the, the majority of the people in this room, I am guessing that we would never say something like this, verse 8. Right, that we have no sin. We wouldn't say that out loud, at least. Right? And part of the reason for that is because most of us have grown up here in the gospel. That we've grown up in the church. Like we've heard over and over again how bad the news really is about our sin. And we've heard the good news of God's grace. But I wonder if for some of us this has started to pack less of a punch that the problem isn't as bad as we first thought it was. If we even thought that it was that bad in the first place, that my sin really isn't that big of a deal. John here is saying that if we think little of our sin, like we don't have any of it, then it's because we think little of God. We don't see him for who he is. And the downstream effect of that for us is that we stop seeing our sin for what he says it is because we are no longer standing right next to him and seeing how big the disparity between us actually is. And on a practical level, what happens is we just become practicing atheists. Because if I don't see sin, if I don't have sin, then I don't need God. And here are a couple ways that I think this can start to manifest in our lives. When we stop comparing ourselves to God, and we start comparing ourselves to other people in our life. That they become the standard, not God. That as long as we are doing better at life than that person, then we're good to go. We're good. I don't got that guy's sin. 
good to go. Or as long as my good stuff outweighs the bad, then God's got no problem with me because he really does just great on a sliding scale. Or another way it might manifest itself is by starting to call sin something other than sin. So gossip is just keeping people in the loop, right? We just want to keep people informed what's going on. Laziness is just lacking in motivation, Coveting is just wanting nice things. We can also start rationalizing our sin and making excuses for it and minimizing it. That my critical spirit that I'm always walking around with or my lust certainly doesn't warrant the murder of the Son of God like your sin does, whatever your sin is. Like why does God care what I think about, right? Or we we can become so self-righteous that we are oblivious to our own pride and arrogance. But what this passage presses on us is that when we deny the reality of our sin, what we are doing is we are denying the reality of our need for the Savior. Because if we say we don't have sin, we deny Christ and we deny the cross. Because from cover to cover, the Bible, God, His truth, it tells us that our greatest problem is not the person sitting next to us right now. They're not our greatest problem that we just need to be better than that person. Our greatest problem is us. It's our sin that we are born in it, that we are bent toward it, and apart from grace, we can't turn from it. And that apart from Christ, we are going to hell for it because we have sinned against a God who is infinitely holy, in whom there is no darkness, and we who are full of it are separated from God forever because of it which is why those outside these walls in our city, in our country, in our world who are living in spiritual darkness, who don't have the light of the gospel, who don't know they've sinned against the holy God need to hear that through faith in Jesus. There is forgiveness and there is life in him. But those outside and those right here inside, we all suffer from the same sickness. Guys, we try to conceal our sin all the time. We try to pretend like it's not there, that if we just stop looking at it for long enough, it'll just magically go away. Here's the thing. There's absolutely no need for us to do that. Because the good news is right there in verse 9, one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. He says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, if we admit that we are sinners, if we agree with what God says about us and about who he is. When we come clean, we stop trying to cover them up. The good news is not he crushes us, but because of the cross of Christ, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see your sin for what it is? Or are you just afraid of getting caught? Do you see sin as ugly? as a sin against a holy, righteous God? Or are you just worried about your reputation? There is forgiveness for those who confess, who say, I hate my sin because I love God and his beauty and his glory and his worth. When we stop lying to ourselves and to others and we tell the truth that we're sinners, God will be true to himself. 
that he is faithful, he will never change, he never lies, and he is just. He will always do what's right. He will forgive, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the, the news that the world desperately needs to hear and the world wants to hear. It's what all of us want to hear, right? That in our sin, regardless of how heinous it is, that we are forgiven. I recently read something about Woody Allen. I'm sure many of you know that name. Well-known actor and film director who also claims to be an atheist. But on one occasion, he was asked this question, if there is a God and if that God should speak to you, what would you most want to hear him say? He said, if there is a God who should speak to me, I would most want to hear him say three words. You are forgiven. Friends, those of us here in this room, because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, if you confess your sin, you can hear him say to you this morning, you are forgiven. The good news really is that good. And here's the last thing that I want to say. We lie to others about our sin. We deceive them. We lie to ourselves. We are deceived. But what it all boils down to is that we ultimately lie about God about who he is and who we are in light of him. Verse 10 there, in many ways, just acts like a summary statement to what's already been said. John writes, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. When you and I deny the reality of our sin, when we treat it as if it is no big deal, when we laugh at it, we just shrug it off, when we think God doesn't really care about it or he'll just let this one slide, what we are doing in effect is we are making God a liar. We are saying to him, you are not who you say you are. You are lying that you are light, that you are perfectly holy and righteous and my sin doesn't deserve what you say it deserves because you say I deserve eternal damnation for it. There's no possible way that my sin can be that serious. So no thank you to your son's sacrifice. I don't need it. And here's the thing. That lie is the same lie that the devil has been telling us from the very beginning. That is God really who he says he is? And are we really who he says we are? If we have a defective view of our sin this morning, it is because we have a defective view of God, of his glory, of his grace revealed to us in the face of his son, Jesus. We are blind to his glory. We are living in the dark. Because what God says about us all throughout his word, Genesis to Revelation, is that we are all sinners who so desperately need a savior that we would spend an eternity in hell for the sins we committed before we even got out here this morning. But that is why he sent his son to us. The word made flesh to live the life that we couldn't, to die the death that we deserve and to rise to give us his life. So the question for us in closing is, do we believe in this glorious God? That he is telling the truth, this God who is far more glorious and far more beautiful, far more holy, more gracious than you and I can even comprehend. If we continue to gaze at this God, we will see our sin for what it is. 
because his light will expose the darkness in us and we will continue to cling to his cross and we will give him all the glory for who he is and for what he has done for us now and for all of eternity. Friends, believe this good news this morning. Let's pray. Father, if you just told us about our sin, about how serious it is, the magnitude of it, how pervasive it is, God, it would not be good news. But, oh God, thank you for showing us who you are in the face of your Son. Have we see your glory, God your perfection, your holiness, your righteousness that demands that our sin be punished. But oh God, thank you for Jesus who took our punishment, who shows not only your glory but your grace. So that those of us who are living in the dark, who are lying to other people about what's really true about ourselves, those of us who just continue to struggle with sin, we'll do so until the day we die. Thank you, God, that you are light, that your, lo- your light penetrates our darkness. God, we continue to walk with you. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Make us more like the God we love. Father, we pray that you would do this work because only you can. It's in your beautiful son's name we pray, amen.